right, I got, I've got a, uh, a riddle for you this morning, somewhat of a riddle. Some of you like riddles. Um, I want you to guess who uh, I'm reading about. All right, some of you will pick up on this pretty quick, but I'm going to leave a couple things out just to create a little bit of mystery. All right, here as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance of the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. My advice is wholesome. There is nothing devious or crooked in it. My words are plain to anyone with understanding, clear to those with knowledge. Choose my instruction rather than silver, and knowledge rather than pure gold. Nothing you desire can compare with me. I live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, kings reign and rulers make just decrees. Rulers lead with my help and nobles make righteous judgments. I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. I have riches and honor, as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold. My wages, better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness and paths of justice. Those who love me inherit wealth. I will fill their treasures. The Lord formed me from the beginning. Before he created anything else, I was appointed in ages past, at the very first before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains were formed, before the hills I was born, before he made the earth and the fields and the first handfuls of soil. I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. And when he marked off the earth's foundations, I was the architect at its side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. Oh, how happy I was with the world he created. How I rejoiced with the human family. And so, my children, listen to me, for all who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my instruction. Don't ignore it. Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at the gates, waiting for me outside my home. Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. 
Who am I? Ah, very good. Lady Wisdom from Proverbs 8. This morning, we are going to be diving into some very high mysteries of Scripture. These bookends of our passage are profound. They've, they've been something that guys in ivory towers have discussed and tried to figure out, and there's just grand mystery around it. But this morning, what I really want us to do is we're, we get to peer into the life of Jesus when he was 12 years old and watch the way he grew in wisdom. Let's, uh, let's look at God's word together. Stand together as we read from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 39 and then go through 52. So this is God's word. May we give attention to it. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went, on a day's, on, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray this morning that the meditations of all of our hearts, uh, the words that I speak, the things we think upon and wrestle with, and as we seek to grow in wisdom, we would once again apprentice and follow the master and do as he has done and become like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's so hard to wrap our minds around the bookends uh, of this section of Scripture. The fact that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, grew in wisdom. First, it says he's filled with wisdom and with favor 
The favor of God was upon him, and then 52, it increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. It's, this, it's just a grand mystery because what this necessarily means that if you grow in something, that means that you didn't, you lacked something in the beginning and you grew into it, right? So, so we have to admit here that Luke is making one of the most grand states of the humanity of Jesus that's made in scripture here. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus grew in his understanding? We all, you know, we can understand like at two years old, yeah, Jesus like had to learn how to speak the language. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn these different things. As he grew and became a boy, we understand the stature piece but man, the favor, he grew in the grace of God and he grew in, the wis- he grew in wisdom. Those are like, for you and I, my understanding growing up of, God, of Jesus is, man, we've done such a great job at presenting Jesus as fully God. So he must have full knowledge of everything from the beginning, from the time he's in the womb to the time till now he sits enthroned. And he knew it all before in the beginning, when he was there in the beginning, and he knows it all. He's the eternal son of God, Right? So how do, are you comfortable, or does it make you uncomfortable to think that Jesus may not have known some things? That he actually had to grow in his understanding of certain things? That he actually might not have known the fullness of his mission when he was a young child? His mission to be the savior of the world and to accomplish all righteousness for his people. Does that make you uncomfortable? It should make us a little uncomfortable because here's, here's these statements that Luke makes and we're not quite sure how to wrap our minds around them. I mean, he's fully God and fully man. How is this possible? I want to wrestle with this this morning uh, because I think what we can learn from this is that we, as we as followers of Jesus, as followers of the way, as apprentices wanting to do this thing, this hard thing we're calling life, we're once again going to look at the master of life and watch how Jesus grew in wisdom in this story. And we can imitate him. It's the beauty of his humanity. As As the second Adam, he shows us the right pathway of life. He is the wise man in Proverbs 8. He is wisdom personified in his person, but he grew in that wisdom. All right, so let's let's think about this for just a minute. This festival of gathering, they've gone down to Galilee, they're coming up out uh, to Nazareth, right? They're growing in this this festival uh, called the Passover, just to make sure we understand what the Passover is, is this grand celebration of God's exodus. He's, he's uh, taken his people out of slavery. He's brought them into a promised land. And that moment of freedom came when he said, take a lamb, slaughter its blood over the doorposts. My people, when you do that, and the angel of death passes over your house and finds the blood shed on the doorpost. The angel will pass over and death will not come to your household. So as the people did that in obedience to God, they were set free from slavery in Egypt. God set them free because the angel passed over. So every year 
over and over again, they would celebrate the faithfulness of God and call it the Passover feast. So here, the Passover is being celebrated. There's thousands of people flocking to Jerusalem. And this is, this is probably a, what we believe to be about a 65-mile journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So imagine hundreds, perhaps hundreds of people in the family unit of Jesus traveling together through the desert all the way to Jerusalem in this arduous journey of 65 miles, and it's taking them several days to do it, and they have this giant caravan of, like, family, like, it's just like this giant parade of kids playing everywhere, I'm sure running back and playing with their cousins in the back, and then some of them were camping out at that night at, at Johnny's tent, and then they go to Betty's tent and hang out with Betty and her family for a while. I don't know who these names are. I'm just throwing them out. But it, you get the idea. There's this kind of this, this uh, camping trip going on as they're headed towards Jerusalem. And the same thing happens uh, when, they're, when they're going back. So this pilgrimage happens. And Jesus, they believe that this is really Jesus' first pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This is his first time to the Passover feast because it was considered when someone, when a young boy was turning 13, that this was kind of a rite of passage that he would go and learn that this custom that would be done year after year after year, he was to be the head of his household and to take his family and do this custom every year. And so Jesus, it's believed that this was Jesus' first trip into Jerusalem. And he was 12 years old. I mean, think about your life at 12 years old. What's, how many of you are 12 years old? Anybody in here 12 years old? Sweet. Yeah. What's it like to be 12 years old? Awesome. Yeah, it's, you know, you uh, ask a lot of questions. You're, um, you're full of uh, a lot of energy right? You're starting to borderline on testing the waters of your parents a little bit. Uh, do what? A little bit. <laughs> 12 years. Imagine what it was like for Jesus to be 12 years old. He was 12 years old, just like you at, your, at 12 years old. In many ways, yet obviously, yet without sin. But there's something unique about this Jesus. Don't you imagine the scene. What was it like for Jesus? How excited do you think Jesus might have gotten to go to Jerusalem for the first time? Think about that for a moment. Jesus gets to go to Jerusalem for the first time. It's kind of like, um, man, I might get thrown under the bus for saying, I'm not a huge fan of Disney, so our family's never been, no condemnation about Disney. I'm just it's just glitz and glamour and whatever. I'd rather go to the mountains, right? And, but what if it's like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of your favorite place to go, like your favorite place, and it's the very first time you get to go. And like the excitement in you uh, of getting to go at 12 years old. Maybe it's the first family trip you went on. Well, I want to I read this to you. This is a long, a long text but I, but I really, I love the way this is written, and I can't say it much better, so I want to read it to you. This is, uh, Gerald Hawthorne wrote this about this, the potential of what Jesus might have been thinking. Just follow along as I read it here. 
If one reflects on the kind of boy Jesus must have been, if one but thinks about the unique circumstances surrounding his birth, if one considers his extraordinary intellectual and spiritual growth, his own deep piety encourages, no doubt, by the piety of Joseph and Mary, his own keen knowledge of the Old Testament through diligent study and memorization of its text and reflection on it, his own penetrating perception into the significant significance of God's redemptive acts in human history, his insight into the meaning of the Jewish feasts and especially of the Feast of the Passover, his awe at being in the city of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. When all this is taken into consideration, one can easily imagine the excitement that surely must have filled Jesus' whole boyish being as he made his way up to Jerusalem for the first time. One can easily imagine the spiritual ecstasy that overwhelmed him as he participated with his family in his very first Passover feast in this special place and the exhilaration that occupied the whole of his attention as he listened to the words and acts of God being expounded by the learned teachers in the precincts of the temple. Surely then, one can easily conceive of the possibility that a person, even a boy, of his religious precocity of Jesus might indeed lose all sense of time and all sense of responsibility to stay in touch with those with whom he had come, even over an extended period of time, and that that a person, even a boy, of his spiritual sensitivity and awareness would wish to be in his father's house, the temple, rather than anywhere else in the world. Does that capture your heart for Jesus? I really want, I really want you this morning to be so captured by the reality of the beauty of the humanity of Jesus, this fully God and fully man, that he, he was like a childhood excitement of like going to the greatest city that he'd heard about, that he'd read about, that his parents had taught him about, and he's going into Jerusalem with this grand excitement with his eyes wide open, his heart pounding, the adrenaline rush that he felt, the love of his father, just he gets to go to this place that he's heard and read about for so long, the temple of his father, and he gets to go and sit and learn and, and watch and, and be a part of it. Could you imagine the, boyish, the boyhood imagination and the excitement of Jesus walking into the grandness of that temple? Herod's temple was insanely beautiful, more massive than anything that you and I I would say that anything that is currently in the world right now, this temple was probably the most beautiful place on earth. Gold, statues, columns, massive. The foundation stone of the temple was said to be something like 30 yards wide by 50 feet long and weighed over 15 to 20 tons 200 tons. Like how in the world did they build that kind of stuff back then? Right? We think, oh man, we've, we're just so smart. We're so sharp. We've got all this technology. We do all these amazing things. The temple was one of the most beautiful things that you could ever lay your eyes on. And when Jesus laid his eyes on it, his, I mean, his excitement level went through the roof, I think. And here he was at 12 years old, getting to go into this temple with his family. 
So imagine what that must have been like. And then we read, as we go into this, so look at verse 31. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year. Jesus was 12 years old. They went according to the custom. So Jesus grew up in this custom of his parents teaching him all of this. The feast came to its end, and, return, and they were returning, and the boy, Jesus, stayed behind, but his parents didn't know it because they were in such a large party group. You think It's so interesting, isn't it? And then they kind of go on this journey for a while, uh, and then they realize, Joseph and Mary realize that they've lost God. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, what in the world? Like, what has happened? How did we misplace God? Where did he go? I mean, incarnate with the parents for a moment. If you've lost your child in a grocery store or in Walmart before, and the, just for a few minutes, and the panic that sets in in your heart. And they had journeyed for a few days. This was like three to four days Jesus is missing. And they go back to Jerusalem, they're searching and looking for him, and they can't find him. And they didn't understand who Jesus was yet. And he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? That's where I love being. I love to just be in my father's house. I want you to look at, look at these verses again. And look at verse 46. I'll put the text back up here. I've got it here. Look at verse 46. Where was Jesus and what was he doing there? Tell me what you see in verse 46. Okay, in the temple. Sitting among the teachers. Listening, Mr. Ryan, go ahead. Asking questions. Listening to them. Answering questions. Okay. So how many of you, when you've read this before, right? This is the temple courtyard. It's kind of this cool area where the, the priests and the scribes would be in one area of the temple. And during the feast of the Passover, towards the end of it, they would come out into the courtyard area and they would stand kind of on a raised platform, kind of like this. And the people would be sitting on the ground, listening to them and, and asking questions. It was like this catechism time. They would ask questions and people would ask questions of them and they would answer it. And Jesus is sitting among these people doing this, listening to them. How many of you, when you think about uh, this scene, traditionally in your mind, you think, eh, Jesus isn't really asking questions. Anyone be honest? That was my thought at the beginning. Anybody else thought that? Am I the only one? You can raise your hand with me. Don't make me feel silly. I always thought, I always thought Jesus was, was not really asking questions. He was kind of asking questions, kind of like stump the chump, you know? Like, yeah, let's see if I can answer this one. Like, I got all knowledge. I know all these things. So he starts throwing questions out. And then, and then it's like this, like smart aleck 12-year-old Jesus, right? Like, let me see if I can stump him here with this. So he goes into this, he, he's asking all these, these questions. I, I love to think about this because why do you think Jesus is asking questions? 
What's he doing in the temple here at 12 years old? What do you guys think? Learning. learning. What's he learning, you think? Okay, very good. He's learning more about the scriptures. Anybody else? What, do you, what else do you think Jesus might have been learning? Learning about his father. Great. What else? Oh, cool. Yeah. He's learning more about who he, yeah, what, who he is. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, what else? Okay, let's expand on that a little bit. What do you mean by his, con- he's learning about his competition. Yeah, dude, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, there, there's a distinct possibility, right? Jesus is, his, his wisdom that he's gathering here, right? This is, Jesus is taking lady, lady wisdom in Proverbs 8 at her word. And he's gaining wisdom not only about his father's world, not only about his father's plan, not only about his father's mission for him, but he's in the context of that, he's learning about these Pharisees and these scribes and how have they taken my father's word and how are they understanding it and reading it so that I can later have a real life discussion with them and draw them, hopefully draw them back into the kingdom. He is there in this loving manner. He's not smart aleck 12-year-old Jesus being snarky to the Pharisees. He's here learning from them. He's learning wisdom from them, from God's word. But he's also learning what people are like. At 12 years old, did you really understand what people are like? Jesus has this profound desire of love, and he wants to understand everything about God's word and everything about his creation, everything about all that he's in now as the fullness of of God in flesh. He wants to learn this and understand it. And what's our, primary way, what's our primary way of doing that? What's your primary way of learning? How do you learn most today? How do you gain wisdom? Hey, Siri, <laughs> what does wisdom mean? Right? We, we, anybody in here named Sophia? Anybody have a name, Sophia? Sophia is the... Oh, yeah. You can tell her later. We, should, we can ask Sophia about wisdom because Sophia means wisdom. So she, she should have all the wisdom that we need so we can ask her. But what would, it, what would it be like to just seek wisdom in the ways that Jesus has? That's why I think for so long we've just overcomplicated this thing of following Jesus. You can be like Jesus in this way and seek wisdom. Where does he seek his wisdom? He seeks it here. Do we really believe that Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 8 is real wisdom? I, I'm just convicted of how long I've just, how many Bibles I have in my house that just sit on the shelf dusty and I never pick them up. I'm not doing this in a legalistic way. I'm just challenging us. As followers of Jesus, as ones who, do you really desire the gain of wisdom? Wisdom. 
this ain't going to give it all to you. Searching the web ain't going to give it all to you. Asking your friends ain't going to give it all to you. Wisdom is found primarily, foremost, and to the fullest extent here of how to live life, how to love, how to live on mission, how to do life in God's kingdom. It's all right here. And it's all, I don't say this in a condemning way, because I want to say it in a convicting way. This right here has been sitting in our homes, my home, for 52 years. And you know what I've done with it? The majority of my life, it's been like this, sitting on a shelf. And I continue to think the definition of insanity, that if I just keep doing the same old thing, there's going to be a different result. And year after year after year of my life for 52 years, I just barely crack it open. Could you imagine if this, if you really believed that this was the wisdom for all of life, how transformative it would be for his church? I just don't think we believe it. I don't think we believe that Jesus believed that. This word was bread and life for Jesus Christ. If Jesus in the fullness of humanity is the second Adam, this was his consumption, his life, and he was sinless. Brothers and sisters, as relatives of the second, of the first Adam who are fallen, who are being redeemed, how much more should this be our wisdom to do life? I want to, I want you to think about, again, I'm going to drill down a little bit. How diligent of a student do you think Jesus was? Because I know some of you are like me. You're probably thinking, oh man, he just kind of, you know, just perused through and got familiar with the stories. I think actually we have a clue as to how, how diligent a student Jesus was of the word. You ready for this? I think this is kind of cool. Look at... Um, Yeah, let me read this quote. The Holy Spirit in filling Jesus with wisdom did not work in this instant independently of social structures, but through them. That is to say, the Holy Spirit took advantage of every educational instrument that was thus readily available. Home, parents, school, scriptures, life, and worship in the synagogue, and so on, and molded the intellectual and spiritual dimensions of this developing personality. Isn't that a cool quote? Back to my point. How diligent of a student was Jesus? In Matthew 5, he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's pretty much, he's saying, the entire Old Testament. His Hebrew Bible. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. This iota, or this dot, if you will, there's the, the word used here is yod. It's the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
when he mentions this word iota, in the Greek it's translated the least stroke of a pen. Are y'all hanging with me? The least stroke of a pen. That means that it's like little horn or a point or an extremity. There are several Hebrew letters that were written with small points or just fine little lines to them. And if you missed one of those lines, then you'd misunderstand a word and you'd misunderstand the sentence. Let me just give you an example here. Here it is in Hebrew. Hope you can see that. In English, Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Here it is in Hebrew. Now you would read, in Hebrew, you would read, you would start here and go that way. Right? We read this direction. In Hebrew, the sentence starts here and goes that way. And Jesus says that he would read the Hebrew and he would fulfill everything. He wouldn't, everything would be fulfilled. Every dot and tittle, every tiny little mark is what he says in Matthew 5. So what does that tell you about the diligence of Jesus as he studies God's word? Did he get distracted? Sure. Did he need to refocus and pray again and say, Lord, help me? Yes. Did he have to learn it? Yes. Did he have to memorize it? Yes. Did he have to refocus again and go back and go, Lord, help me understand this? Yes. In a lot of the very same ways, in the very same struggles that you and I have in reading God's word, I think Jesus had. But he, Jesus, the man of wisdom, became the man of wisdom because he immersed himself in the scriptures. I mean, think about it for a moment. Think about just a corner of a room in Nazareth, in his own house, and he's sitting in that room with a, a lamp lit, and he's, he's just immersing himself in the Hebrew scriptures. And what do you picture and envision Jesus is doing in that moment? It's like he can, for me, I can just visualize Jesus just sitting there, just just combing through these these scrolls and just writing, making notes everywhere and and looking through. I just turned to to this, right? This is not to brag on me, but this is what I do in my Bible. Because I I can't understand, I can't keep it all here, so I just have to write stuff down. So you just scribble. I, I just wonder if Jesus maybe scribbled stuff down and if he had like little papyrus note cards, you know, where, he, where he'd like memorize stuff. I just, what I want you to do on all this, right? I'm, we don't know all the details of this. There's a lot of mystery as the, as the way Jesus learned, but we know that in the fullness of what Luke is saying here, he had to have grappled with understanding and wisdom and the only ways that he got at true wisdom was reading his father's word as the spirit revealed things to him. But man, I bet he was just this insanely diligent student that tackled the principles. Imagine how carefully you would read if you understood your life in the same way. 
Imagine how carefully you would study the scriptures if you felt your job was to fulfill and obey all that was written in it. Imagine how diligently you would examine the Bible if you truly believed it contained your assignments for life. This was Jesus' attitude. His passion was knowing and living out the written word. He did not want to turn from it to the right or to the left to be careful to obey everything written in it. Jesus was a diligent student of wisdom. He studied the How did he gain wisdom? He studied the wisdom literature. A little secret here. Did you hear me? You have the same text that he had. Are you so flooded with the things of this world that the wisdom that's here, that you think you're finding wisdom and you're really just gaining knowledge? You're not gaining wisdom from the world. You're gaining knowledge. But this is where true wisdom is found. What if all of us in this room became students of the word? Okay, I want to end with this because I think this is part of where we, the church maybe has been weak at helping people. I want, I want you to understand this. I really want to give, I hope this brings great freedom for you. I want to tell you my story of my journey of reading scripture. I am, maybe you know this, maybe you've caught this in my preaching. I, like if they had an ADD and when I was 12, I would have been diagnosed, okay? I'm an adult, 52. I still have ADD, just so you know, right? So I jump from one thing to the next. My brain, I can't settle on stuff for very long. So part of the reason for that, and I'm not saying ADD is the problem. I just think this is a systemic problem in the church. I believe that this text is one of the most difficult things to read. I think it's really difficult to read the Bible and to understand it and to get everything out of it. It's really hard. And I just want to say that up front. Like if you struggle to read this and to read it and understand it, that's okay. You're in good company. This is a really difficult book. It's why guys like Aaronica and I go to seminary to learn how to study it and read it. All right, people spend their lives trying to understand this book. But it's also very simple and profound in the story that it's telling so I want to give you freedom. So every year I used to feel this really deep conviction all the way into seminary uh, because I would run into these people in my church and growing up and they would say, man, I'm, I'm doing my Bible reading program this year and I'm reading through the Bible in a year. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it this year. And I'd get to Leviticus and it would just, just nosedive, right? Every year. I never read through the Bible in a year, just confessing to you. I just, I just can't do it. So I was very convicted of that. I went to seminary. I was in the bookstore at seminary, and I picked up this little booklet they had in there by John MacArthur, How to Study the Bible. I was like, huh, this, this is my, my cup of tea. It was like 25 pages long. I was like, sweet, I can read this. And so I started reading through it. I was like, oh, wow. 
Like, it, it just freed me. And he said, slow down and read one book a year was his recommendation. So I started thinking about that. And I was like, huh, like, how many of you in here are, who's 66 in here? Okay, Marianne? Marianne, six, thanks for admitting your age. We, we love you, Marianne. She, look, she looks like 50, right? So, so Marianne, what if, like, at year one, your parents said, hey, I'm going to take uh, the book of Philippians, and we're just going to read it for a year. And then the next year, they took another book and read it for a year. Next year, they took another book and read it for a year. Instead, I think what we do often is you're like, hey, here's the Bible, consume it. We don't give instruction. We don't give direction around it. I am giving you the freedom to slow down. And maybe perhaps some of you that are young, I'm not going to live 66 more years, but some of you are. How cool would it be if you just picked every year? I'm going to read through, like this year, you should be maybe dedicate your year to reading through the Gospel of Luke, since that's what we're preaching through. And just take a year to read through Luke. How cool would that be? You'd be kind of like an expert in Luke by the end of the year. You could memorize long sections of it. Wouldn't that be cool? And then like five years, maybe you've done five books and you really know those five books. Because I think the mistake we've done is we just kind of, like I said, we just kind of said, hey, read it. And then we try to like, I used to do this like, oh, well, I don't know where I'm going to read this morning. Oh, there we go. Isaiah 4. Seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, well, I'm literally just doing this. We'll, we will eat our bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Man, I read God's word today. I have no clue as a pastor what that means. No clue. But that's how we handle scripture, right? And they're like, I want to grow in wisdom. But man, just take one book, right? You probably got to double up on like 1 John and Philemon. I mean, you know, probably don't want to study those for a year, right? Um, but I just encourage you to do that. If you want to be a man or woman of wisdom, do what Jesus did. Second advice is, when you're reading scripture, go into it, when you're reading that book, go into it with like a question in your mind that you want answered. Maybe it's like, huh, I noticed the first time reading uh, through Ephesians, it says in Christ a lot. I'm going to count how many times it says that. And then I'm going to like, the next time I read it through, I'm going to like slow down every time it says in Christ and see what the following words after it are. The next time I'm going to look, man, I want wonder what this, this word faithful means in the Proverbs or in the Psalms. I'm going to dissect that as I read through. Like, just make it, be a student of the word like Jesus was. I think he had so many questions and so, many, so much wisdom gathered um, over the years, of, and he learned who people were, and he learned how to love. So, all that saying... Isn't it beautiful that the passage ends 
with wisdom being gathered in Jesus' obedience to his parents. And he obeyed the commandments. He honored his father and mother, and he went back to, with them to Nazareth in obedience and followed them, learned under them, and was instructed under them for the next 12 minus 30, 20 so years. Just learned the scriptures. Will you be a person of wisdom this year? May you seek wisdom in his word. Let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks uh, for just giving us this uh, crazy boyhood story that at 12 years old you sought and loved to be in your father's house and sought out wisdom from his word. Lord, will you help us be students of the scriptures if we want true wisdom, we need to go to the source. Help us to find that source to only be in your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.